calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Max Quick, Book Two, The Two Travelers, by Mark Jeffrey, read by the author. The sequel to Max Quick, Book One, The Pocket and the Pendant, produced by Mark Jeffrey in association with Podiobooks.com. For more information on the Max Quick series or this podcast, please visit www.maxquickseries.com. Four, Arturo Jip. The desert shimmered and oozed. A burning wind seared all flesh. And in the distance, a hilltop rose, with the buildings of what was clearly a town dotting the hard scrabble, like chunky brown chocolate chips sticking out of a lump of sandy cookie dough. Casey and Sasha stood together, eyeing the hill through the haze. There was nothing at all in any direction except sand and scorched vegetation, struggling brownly to escape being choked by the intense heat. In the distance lay a vague ring of mountains, a noose looped around this vast plain of nothing, this kingdom of emptiness. The sun in the sky was old and red. It bulged like a sick, throbbing, festering infection. A burning glob of blood, churning with some sort of alchemical fission of the veins. A sleepless crimson star, a dying heart simmering with ancient envy. Sasha coughed. The blowing sand was already starting to ping around her pug nose and coat the back of her throat. Okay, Casey said. What the hell is this? Sasha gagged out a response. This is not what was in the brochure. Um... I don't think we went through the right arch. No, that was definitely the right arch, said Sasha. But I think it's broken. I think it was malfunctioning or something right before we stepped through. We should go back to the pyramid and try again. Casey looked behind her, but there was nothing but air. Hey, where did the arch go? Sasha spun. I can't see it, but you're the one with the eye for that. What, you don't see it? Casey shook her head. No! Casey squinted and tried to force her mind to see, not just look. She waved her arms through the air, trying to locate the phantom arch that should be just behind them. But it wasn't. Either that, or she'd lost the ability to see it. In a panic, she circled the area where it should be, but it wasn't there. It had vanished. Oh, that's just great, Casey fumed. Just freaking great. She kicked sand with her boot at the air where the arch should be. So, we're trapped here, Sasha said. 
Casey sagged and then shook it off. For now, until we understand better what's going on. So what? Do we go into town? Of course. What else are we going to do? We can't stay out here on the beach. Sasha let out a laugh. Yeah, I don't see any cute cabana boys we could order drinks from. Well, onward to Boot Hill over there, Casey said. Yes, it looks quite rotic, Sasha observed. Rotic? Casey asked. Yeah, that's romantic without the man, Sasha explained. They both buckled over with peals of laughter. Casey's wisecrack about Boot Hill couldn't have been more accurate, as it turned out. As they ascended towards the town, the first thing they encountered was a graveyard, with thin, brittle headstones jutting up out of the gravel, like rotting teeth cracking and splitting in the baking, bloody sunlight. The first stone they could read said, Jim McCain, through a bullet in the back was he slain. The sign was misspelled in several places. Well, that's charming, Sasha said. Illiterate and brutish all at once. What more could a girl ask for? Casey smirked. And poetic. The use of iambic pentameter is quite striking. You don't even know what iambic pentameter means, Sasha accused. <laughs> You're right, Casey agreed, laughing. But I can spell it, which is more than the grim rapper here can say. Sasha burst into laughter. The grim rapper! <laughs> she suddenly clutched her throat. Ow, this sand is getting to me. I feel like I just drank a cup of crushed glass. I know what you mean, Casey replied, coughing herself. As they continued up the hill, they entered the outskirts of an old west town. A sign said, Entering the township of Arturo Jip, in reverent memory of our founder. It looked like there had once been more to the sign on the bottom, but it was ragged and scraggly, as if this bit had torn away long ago. Arturo Jip, Sasha read. What, like Gypsy? Never trust anyone with a three-letter last name, Casey ribbed. Hey, Sasha protested. I can't help it if some dope at Ellis Island can't spell foi, spelled F-O-I-X, the proper French way. But anyway, I wonder who this guy is. Was. This looks like a mining town. Jip was probably the guy who first struck a gold claim or something and started the place. Weird name for a town, Sasha replied. I wonder if he cheated someone out of their gold, and from then on, people said when they got ripped off that they'd been gypped. Casey mused. Sasha suppressed a snort of laughter. No, come on, that could be why. There were two lines of buildings on either side of a dirt main street, and a large building that appeared to be a Victorian house at the end of the thoroughfare. Sasha made out a couple of lodgings, the Whitby, the Union Hotel, and the Grand Hotel. The signage for the Grand promised modern amenities. There was a saloon called the Lucky Thirteen, with a sign advertising Pharaoh, the king of chance games, and Casey's eye was caught by a window with peacock feathers and boas adorning a badly made mannequin. The Bird Feather Theater, it said above the door. Sasha also noticed a small tent booth set in between two buildings. There was no door, just a purple velvet curtain. Fortune teller, the sign simply read. And everywhere, there were horses, carriages, and men. Dirty men with soiled white shirts open at the collar to cool down from the unrelenting heat. Dust-caked overcoats and hats sun-bleached in varying states of black, brown, and off-white. They were cowboys, gunslingers, murderers, thieves. The men looked up from whatever they were doing when they spotted Casey and Sasha, and took them in for a moment, and then continued on as if their arrival were hardly worth noticing. 
First, Casey and Sasha avoided their gazes, but the distinct lack of interest in two young pretty girls in what, to them, must be bizarre clothing was actually startling in itself. Casey nudged Sasha. Hey, they're ignoring us. Sasha nodded. Thank God, she whispered back. (laughs) I'm actually a little insulted, Casey replied and giggled lightly. But just then, a tall man walked mechanically across the main thoroughfare in Arturo Jip. He wore a black dust coat over a three-piece suit, black necktie, black boots, and a black hat. A magnificent gold watch chain adorned his torso, looping twice around the perfect buttons of his vest. A thick black mustache sprouted under his nose like bristles of horsebrush. He had inky shark eyes, and he had something else, a sparkling silver badge. His name was Blackthorn, and he was the sheriff of Arturo Jip. Another man shadowed the sheriff, quaking. He skittered behind him, nervous and jittery like a creeping bug. But this man didn't look like a gunfighter or an outlaw. He was dressed in a soiled white shirt and a dirty smock. A blacksmith. The Old West version of a regular guy. He was sweating a river. His face ticked and twitched. His mouth opened and closed several times as he fought for words. Blackthorn seemed perfectly aware of the blacksmith's presence, but he was waiting for him to make the first move. That is, if he was actually going to do anything at all. Then, the blacksmith got up his nerve. Blackthorn! He screeched, voice warbling in terror. Blackthorn seemed like molasses creeping through tree veins in winter. He was all instinct, the way an insect or lizard is all instinct. At the call of his name, he betrayed no mammal-like emotion whatsoever not even anger. He was just clockwork, a piece of software. He turned and looked at the blacksmith, assessing him dispassionately, almost bored. He waited. Hugh! The blacksmith began, sweat gushing from every part of him. I can't! Not anymore! No more! Blackthorn looked down at the ground and sighed. You know what this means, he said quietly. Ah, I can't live like this anymore! It's too much. I ain't working on it anymore. Blackthorn stepped back out into the street. You you don't have the right to do this. You take and take and take, and nobody can't never stand up to you. Well, I've been practicing. I can draw fast as lightning. I can hit. I can. Blackthorn pulled his dust coat back, buttoned it neatly in place, to reveal a perfect black gun tucked neatly in a low-slung leather holster. The weapon sparkled redly with just a glint of the bloody sun in the sky. The blacksmith stopped talking at the sight of the gun. Blackthorn just stared at him, unblinking. It seemed that he would probably even walk away, if the blacksmith did, and not think twice about it. The blacksmith seemed almost about to back down. He opened his mouth as if to speak, but freakishly, he vomited. Liquid fear splattered at his feet. Blackthorn regarded this for a moment, and then wordlessly released his dust coat, letting it hang loose again over his gun. He turned and started to walk away. But the sight of Blackthorn's back galled the blacksmith. His face grew murderous with a twisted hatred. No, don't you show me your back. It ends. Today, one way or another, somebody's got to try and take you down, Blackthorn. And I reckon... That someone's me. Blackthorn stopped. His back was still to the blacksmith, but he didn't even turn. He waited. 
The blacksmith drew. Fast, Casey thought. Not bad. He had been practicing. But somehow, Blackthorn had already fired. He was turned squarely around, aiming perfectly at shoulder height, his black gun muzzle smoking blue fumes. And even from this distance, Casey could see that the barrel of his obsidian weapon was decorated with a swirling gold leaf intaglio. One moment, Blackthorn was facing away, and the next, well, he had fired. It was just that simple. The thunder of the gun even came a noticeable split second later. The blacksmith had never even pulled his trigger. A spout of red popped out of his forehead like a water bubbler. Blackthorn had been preternaturally fast. There was no other way to describe it. Casey and Sasha were both aghast. Nobody was that fast. Well, outside of the pocket, anyway. Blackthorn looked from under the brim of his hat for a moment, and then reholstered his gun, turned, and walked away. Men watching from the side scurried into the street, collected the body, and disappeared with it into an alley lined with wooden coffins. In moments, it was like the event had never happened at all. Oh my god, Sasha whispered. I've never seen anything like that. Even the cruelty of Jay the Centurions hadn't been so shockingly violent. There had been lots of sadness and torment, but nobody had just died in an eye blink. Two little Mexican boys, each about eight years old, suddenly ran up to Casey and Sasha. Senoritas! Senoritas! They cried together. Casey snapped out of her reverie and jumped back, startled by their sudden and incongruous appearance. Wordlessly, each held out a flower and looked up with cherubic faces. Flowers! Flowers for the pretty senoritas! One said with a thick accent. Welcome to our churro jip! Casey saw that the flowers were purple and yellow orchids, rare and very exotic. They were the kind of lush flower one would expect from a South American rainforest, not from a dusty, parched desert town of the Old West. Casey saw this at once for the magnificent gift that it was. She smiled. Thank, thank you, she stammered. Uh, gracias. Mucho gracias. The boys grinned wide and then became shy and ran away towards a pale stucco church down the street, near the Victorian mansion at its end. Although the peasant church appeared to be crumbling to pieces, slowly baking to dust in the sun, the steeple yet stood. It housed a great copper bell, silent and still in the dead air, its dull metal sweating in the heat. Casey smiled slightly and gave one of the orchids to Sasha. Here, she said, this one's for you. They gave them to both of us. Sasha took the orchid. I think they gave them both to you, she replied. But if you're giving me one, I'll take it. Casey put hers in her hair, inserting the stem behind the ear. She looked like a hula girl or something. Sasha laughed at the Hawaiian style juxtaposed against the western town. How in the heck they got orchids in this hellhole, I'll never know, Casey mused. They continued along the thoroughfare with a mixture of delight and shock. This was a violent yet beautiful place at once. One minute murder, and the next the royal gift of orchids. As it happened, they entered the Lucky Thirteen saloon entirely by accident. Sasha and Casey had begun to drift towards the boardwalk on the right. More and more men were starting to notice them now, stare at them. There were a few women, hurrying along with parasols, stuffed eyes to ankles and frills and lace. But they seemed to regard Casey and Sasha with contempt, fluttering their fans with even more alacrity, as if trying to shoo away the very concept of them. Perhaps it was the way the two of them were dressed. Sasha picked nervously at the orchid in her hair. But the men, shopkeepers, telegraph operators, blacksmiths, saloon barkeeps, and yes, gunslingers, murderers, cattle rustlers, and thieves, 
started crowding towards them with a fascination now. They'd never seen anyone like these two girls. Casey and Sasha suddenly felt very uncomfortable. At first they tried to avoid the stairs, but the men kept blocking their path wordlessly, trying to position themselves in the way. Well, they seem to be paying attention to us now, Casey whispered to Sasha. They ducked this way and then that way, and Sasha grabbed out for Casey's hand. It was shaking with fear. The duo backed up, thinking they were cornered. There was only solid wall behind them. But just when they thought they had nowhere left to go, they kept backing up, right through the wall. At first, Casey thought they had finally found the arch, the eldritch doorway back to the pyramid of the arches. She almost sagged in relief. But in fact, they had simply backed up through the swinging batwing doors of the Lucky Thirteen saloon. It was a dark place, and it took a moment for their eyes to adjust from the bright sunlight. In their momentary blindness, they were hit with the pungent stench of whiskey almost immediately, followed by a mist of cigar smoke tickling their hair. The air in here was turgid and unmoving. There was not much in the way of ventilation. The sound of the Lucky Thirteen became noticeably quieter. As their eyes adjusted, Casey and Sasha saw that it was filled with the same sort of men they had just seen in the streets. Sasha suddenly got the feeling they had just made a mistake. A room full of hungry eyes rested on them from behind card games, from behind oily guns being cleaned, from behind the bar and from the gallery above the saloon. There actually were a few women in the place, Casey noted to her relief. Showgirls, it seemed, from the outfits. They lingered near an old piano in the corner. One even casually smoked a cigar. Somebody whistled at them, and the room broke out into laughter. New arrivals, the bartender burped. He was a short, pudgy little man in an apron. Welcome to our Chiro Jip, he concluded. Yes, welcome indeed, someone else said, again producing laughter. Casey pulled Sasha up to the bar with her, ignoring the stares that followed them. Hi, Casey said to the bartender. I'm Casey, and this is Sasha. How do you do, the bartender said with a wide smile. I'm Eldon, Eldon Floyd, the proprietor of this here establishment. At your service. A small monkey dressed in overalls, a cowboy hat, and a neckerchief suddenly jumped up onto Floyd's shoulder from somewhere beneath the bar. Oh, and this is Carson, Floyd said to laughter all around. Hi, Eldon, Casey said, smiling, and then to the monkey. And hello, Carson. Carson squawked indifferently. Then she leaned in closer to Eldon and whispered, Uh, listen, are we going to be okay? I mean, should we not be in here or something? Eldon harrumped and acted slightly offended. In my saloon? Of course you'll be okay. Why wouldn't you be? But from the way his eyes darted around as he said this, Sasha didn't get the feeling even Eldon was totally certain. Casey nodded and then said carefully, Oh, I don't know. Uh, we're new here, and, well, we just saw a man get shot, so... Ah, yes. That was a less than propitious welcome, ladies, Eldon said nervously. I mean, the altercation without provocation in the street, of course? The mind truly boggles at the wickedness of man. Well, we won't be staying long, Sasha replied curtly. Oh, <laughs> that's a shame. Quite a shame. And just passing through, eh? Yep. Well, uh... <laughs> In my experience, such as it is, some folk who reckon they are just passing through stay a mite longer than they expect or suspect, uh, meaning no disrespect. Owing to perturbations and perambulation and such. He laughed lightheartedly, but with a nervous twitter. Sasha looked a question at Casey. What did he just say? We're looking for someone, Casey explained. Oh, well, uh, we all are, you know. Eldon looked hopefully at Casey. 
No, no, no. What I mean is someone in particular, Casey replied, brushing off the comment. It's very important that we find him. He's, he's tall and an older man with a long white beard. He's, he's kind of lost it. He's gone crazy. Uh, he would have been dirty, homeless, weird acting. Does any of this ring a bell? Well, Eldon pondered a new voice nearby spoke up. Oh, yes, I'll say. He was here a couple of days back and couldn't miss him. He said his name was uh, E somebody or something E. That's him, Sasha almost yelled. Wow, was he your pappy? Casey almost laughed aloud. Yes, something like that. Virgil Dalton, the man said, rising and introducing himself. I'm Casey, and this is Sasha. Ma'ams, Dalton said, tipping his hat. Well, uh, my partner Weldon had a bad stomachache when he came in two nights ago. Something fierce. And along comes a strange old codger. Wanders in fresh from the desert haze. Tall, thin, with a long white beard. And it says his name is E. That's it. A letter for a name. Who never heard such a thing? I figure it stands for Emmett or such, and he just plumbed dumb forgot his own name, wandering in the desert. Lord knows he was sunburned beyond belief. The top of his head was cooked redder than lobster blood, and his face was cracked and peeling. And he, well, he was babbling on about something, a dream thing or something or other. He just seemed like a crazy old beggar. Then, then he sees my friend is in a bad way, and suddenly he changes. It snaps him out of whatever's wrong with him. He says, well, that's no stomach ache. That's appendix. And then he, that being he, gives Weldon something to drink. Weldon passes right out. And he takes my knife and cuts him open. And quicker than lickety split, he has his appendix out and sews him back up. And my friend is better than like nothing happened at all. Casey smiled as Virgil told this anecdote. You don't say, she said. Oh, but I do, Virgil replied, laughing. And any friend of his is a friend of mine. Well, happy to hear that, Casey said, because we are dear friends of his. Do you happen to know which way he headed? I sure do, Virgil replied, pointing. He went west. He left yesterday at sunup. Casey nodded briskly to Sasha. Well, that's where we'll head tomorrow. Virgil's eyes went wide at this, and he guffawed as though it were particularly funny for some reason. Virgil, you telling these two ladies the whole honest truth now? Casey and Sasha turned. A young, well-tanned blonde man with piercing blue eyes stood at the bar. His smile was dazzling, like a toothpaste commercial, Casey thought. She gasped when she caught sight of him. He was so good-looking and so unexpected in this filthy place. He was wearing a frontiersman's outfit, buckskin clothes with fringed leather trim, like Daniel Boone or Davy Crockett, complete with a coonskin cap. Two overly shiny silver guns were strapped to either side of his waist. The outfit was almost comical. It was somehow out of place, uh, the wrong time period, but also too clean, like a kid playing cowboy. Ah, Cody, of course I am, Virgil said, sagging. Why would I lie to these two sweet young things? Well, I don't know, Cody replied with a cool smile. You lied to me about that claim you sold me. I did not lie about that, Virgil spat indignantly. I made no guarantees. I only told you what I mined from it myself. If it went dry on your watch, well, I can't help it if you're just plain unlucky. Strange, he doesn't look like the unlucky type to me, Sasha whispered to Casey. You're taken, remember? Casey whispered back in slight alarm. Ian, your boyfriend Ian? 
He's not here, is he? Sasha said playfully. And what happens in Arturo Jip stays in Arturo Jip. Well, I don't know about that, Cody continued. I just want to be sure you don't tell these two nice young ladies here something that's liable to disappoint them. She asked, Virgil said, pointing a finger at Casey. And so I tell her what she wants to know. Cody nodded slowly as if understanding something. Well, then so it is. He turned to Casey and Sasha. Name's Cody Chance, and I'm a cowboy. He grinned proudly, almost stupidly. The girls laughed, surprised. <laughs> we could see that, Casey said. Um, Casey, yes, I heard. And Sasha. Uh, pleased to make your acquaintance, Cody replied. So, uh, you'll be staying the evening then? Casey nodded. Yeah, she said, but we don't have a place. Uh, could we crash on your couch by any chance? Cody coughed. Even Sasha was a little shocked at Casey's forwardness. Crash in my... You having a room at one of the hotels in town then? Cody replied. Um, we don't have any money, Casey said sheepishly. At least, not any they would take. Well, Cody said, clapping his hands nervously. I, I, I can ask a friend of mine to put you up. You see, uh, I don't have a place of my own. I sleep out in the open, under the stars. This took a moment for Casey to process. Uh, wow, she said when it finally sank in. Here, come with me, Cody said. I'll introduce you. His place is behind the Whitby Hotel. Uh, he won't mind none, I'm sure. Casey and Sasha followed Cody out of the Lucky 13. Both of them quickly replaced their sunglasses. They took a short walk across the street and then between two buildings. Along the backside of the Whitby Hotel was a makeshift camp with several stick-and-tarp constructions and lean-tos. But towering over them all was a great teepee. It was three stories tall, with at least four long saplings coming together at the top, cloaked by a massive off-white covering made of some kind of animal skin. It was painted with ornate decorations. A thin line of smoke curled from the small opening in the top. There was a lone mule tied up outside the teepee. Oh, that there's Ed. Ed the mule, Cody said. Casey and Sasha tried to keep from laughing. Hello, Ed, Casey said, petting his nose. Cody poked his head inside. Logan, he said. Someone groaned an answer from within, and Cody motioned for Casey and Sasha to follow him. The two girls were both astonished by the interior of the teepee. They had expected a dirt floor, something akin to a fort in the woods. Instead, the floor was a soft bearskin rug, covering the entire circumference and sealed tight against the walls. It was obvious that rain or even mud would not get in here. Plush furnishings adorned the room in scattered intervals, several seats here and there and a large bed against the far wall. A small fire was going in a modest fire pit in the middle. The smoke left the teepee dutifully through the opening in the roof. An opening Sasha saw now could be closed with a rope that would pull a smoke flap snugly into place. Logan, this here's my new friends, Casey and Sasha. They need a place to stay. Girls, say hello to Logan Whitecloud. Only for tonight, Casey added quickly. We're leaving tomorrow, promise. A small old Indian man stepped into the light. His face looked like a brown raisin. He wore a crushed, dusty black top hat and wireframe eyeglasses in which the lenses had been completely blacked out. He was blind. Cody looked at Logan with a knowing expression on his face, which Casey didn't understand. Why even bother to give it to Logan? He was blind, wasn't he? Ah, come on, they seem like a good sort, Logan. What do you say? Logan seemed to take them in and then nodded. Come in. 
Oh, come in then, come in. You, there, and you, there, Logan said, pointing out two bearskin heaps on the floor. Yes? Casey nodded. Yes, and thank you. She turned and grinned at Cody. And thank you, Cody. Logan turned and went to the other side of the teepee to finish preparing a meal he had been working on. Cody leaned in close to Casey. No problem, ma'am. He lowered his voice to barely a whisper. Oh, uh, you should know something about Logan. He's blind. But not deaf, Logan called out from the other side of the room. Sasha and Casey settled into the teepee over the next hour. Casey laid down on the bearskin bedding. She was stunned at once by how utterly comfortable it was. She thought it would be like laying on a thin rug on the ground with rocks and things poking through, but a pile of bearskin actually made a really nice soft bed. Logan tended to a stew over the fire, but every now and then he seemed to hear something. He'd get up and go over to where his own bed was and put his ear to the ground. He'd look up at Casey and Sasha and shake his head. Casey thought she heard him say, Can't be, each time. But by the fifth time, Sasha caught what he was hearing. Something was rattling, like someone shaking a box of nails, but the sound was muffled as if it were underground. Over his shoulder, Logan said distinctly, All right, I'll look into it. Enough already. The noise stopped immediately. Later, Cody returned. I was wondering if you two ladies might want to join me for a walk. Casey and Sasha looked at each other and nodded. In five minutes, they were sauntering along the boardwalk on the main thoroughfare of Arturo Jip. So, uh, I take it this is a mining town, Sasha said. Cody Chance nodded, smiling. Yes, that's why the old Jip was founded, all right. But in recent years, the mines have been abandoned, run dry five years ago. Was it a, a gold mine? Casey asked. Chance shook his head. Oh, no, something far more valuable. He held up a small blue gem. Here, these here nuggets. Sasha did a double blink. What is that, a blue diamond? Chance nodded. Yep, shiny blue through and through. There used to be all kinds of stones down there. Emeralds, red diamonds, rubies, sapphires, lots of gems. Casey shook her head. That doesn't make any sense. Gems like that come from India and Africa, not from the American Southwest. At least the most famous ones do. You know, the Heart of Eternity, the Mountain of Light. Sasha gave her a funny look. What? I got all interested in gems after the pocket. And Max and I... Well, I wanted to know everything about them, since the Nuberians seem to use them for everything. Sasha continued to stare at her with a knowing look. Well, okay, so I like them also, Casey admitted, rolling her eyes. But anyway, I've never heard of a gemstone mine here in America. Well, Chance replied with his million-watt smile. You found the first, then. Casey melted and looked away, embarrassed. There's another reason why people won't go down there no more. Cody became very serious and lowered his voice to a whisper. The mines are haunted, he confided. Sasha and Casey exchanged glances. Haunted? How do you mean? Why, ghosts and such, of course. What other way is there to mean? Well, did someone die down there or actually see a ghost or what? Cody shook his head and got serious. Miss Cole? Lots of people around here won't even talk about it. Casey and Sasha just stared at him like that didn't matter. Cody sighed, exasperated. But you're going to give me puppy dog eyes until I tell you, aren't you? Casey nodded, smiling. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, all right. There was one of us. Uh, Let me think. It was a while ago. Uh, Okay. Okay, I got it. It was a full moon, right after a hanging. Someone went down. 
uh, wait, no. Uh, there was a place where, uh, wait, Chance was confused. Okay, see, the ghost of Arturo Jip was seen. Casey and Sasha looked on with bemused faces. Well, that ain't the darndest thing, Cody muttered. I can't remember how it goes, and it's right on the tip of my tongue. You mean this is a ghost story everyone's all scared about, and you can't even remember what it is. Cody Chance was full-on baffled. Well, I, I, well, no, I, I, I guess, I reckon not. He took his hat off and stared into the clear star-spangled night. He's cute when he's confused, Sasha whispered to Casey, who elbowed her back. Huh. Well, I must apologize and solicit your patience, I suppose. I don't reckon I can tell you a ghost tale this evening. Or the ghosts have gone and stole it right out of my brain. He smiled sheepishly. Well, tell us when you remember it, then, Casey replied. In the meantime, tell us about yourself. Did you grow up here? Cody Chance actually laughed out loud. Here? <laughs> Hell no. Nobody grew up in the jip. We all come from somewhere else. Allure of the minds and all, I suppose. So where did you come from? Sasha repeated. Casey glared at her. Well, I, I come from back east, Boston. He looked at Casey for a moment as if for approval. Is Boston good? Casey burst out laughing. Well, I guess so if that's where you're from, she said. He looked greatly relieved for some reason and laughed with her. Here, I've got a question, Sasha said. And again, Casey looked at her with a mildly jealous look of annoyance. Yesterday, that sheriff who shot the blacksmith, why was the blacksmith trying to kill him in the first place? Cody's brilliant smile faded, and now he looked as if he just swallowed a mouthful of ashes. Let's not talk about that. Casey snapped at Sasha, as if she'd said something rude. Sasha returned a quizzical gaze to Casey. It was her beef. Sasha was just trying to discover what was going on in this town. Wasn't that what they were supposed to be doing? Was Casey so starry-eyed over Cody that she was forgetting why they were here? No, let's, Sasha insisted, giving Casey the eye. Casey threw her arms up. Oh, all right. What's with the sheriff? Cody looked around, far more nervously than he did when he was about to tell the forbidden ghost story. This was evidently a subject far more serious. Casey figured she knew why. Blackthorn was a real breathing person, not a vague superstitious tale. Well, the sheriff, he, he's different from most people around here. Cody looked like he was gagging as he spoke. It's hard to put into words. Everyone's scared of him. And he lacks everyone afraid of him. He gives him a charge like. He'll wander around town just looking at you. And you'll feel the terror in the pit of your stomach right away. And you start thinking, he could just kill me with those guns. Right now, he's so fast. It's like he's not even human. But he's the sheriff, Casey protested. A sheriff isn't going to kill you unless you're threatening someone or him, right? Well, Cody said, shaking a bit. Technically, yes, that's correct. I always thought the sheriff is supposed to be the bravest person in town. You know, the one who takes care of the bad guys. And above all, he's honest. Well, that's the way of it, sure, Cody replied, but he didn't sound so certain. Evening, said a gruff voice behind them. They turned. It was Blackthorn. He eyed Cody icily, and Sasha thought she felt a cold wind suddenly blow through her. His eyes drifted over to Casey. Ma'am, he said, tipping his coal black hat. But there was no warmth in the gesture. His eyes were gray steel. It's getting late. Egypt can be a bit rough this time of night. 
especially for two unescorted ladies. Blackthorn casually dismissed Cody's presence as an escort, as if he signified nothing. Then he smiled, a forced, tight smile, like his face wasn't made for such a thing. But his sudden presence while they were talking about him was not lost on Casey and Sasha. Blackthorn didn't like people talking about him, that was clear. Had he actually been following them? Listening in on their conversation from the shadows? Good night, Blackthorn said simply, as if the matter were now concluded. For a moment, Casey thought to protest. Why the hell should she move along just because he told her to? But maybe in this time, in the Old West, that was a bad idea, unladylike. And they couldn't afford enemies right now, especially not someone as obviously dangerous as Blackthorn. Oh, look at the time, Sasha said, looking at her watchless wrist and grabbing Casey's elbow before she did something stupid and her mooning over Cody. <laughs> Guess the sheriff's right. I'll see you later, Cody. Good night, Casey said. Night, ladies, Cody said with an unsteady voice. It was clear he was terrified, but he nodded and his eyes seemed to say that he would be all right, as long as they left now. When they were out of earshot, Sasha said, God, he is creepy. He reminds me of... And then stopped, involuntarily rubbing the sunbolt tattoo on her hand. Go on, say it, Casey replied. I was thinking it too. Well, Siren. In a way, I mean, before he was good, you know. Casey nodded. That's all right. There is something Sirenish about him. More like the mannerisms more than anything. But his eyes are different. Blackthorn's colder. Even at his worst, Siren was human. Immortality got him out of bed in the morning. He had something he cared about, however wrong it was. But this guy, he's, he's like a lizard. He doesn't care about anything. He just exists. It's weird. Yeah, Sasha agreed. He is like that. And with that, the two of them made their way back to the teepee for the night. Back so soon, Logan asked as they arrived. Yeah, Sasha quipped. We weren't wanted in town by a certain sheriff, apparently. Not to worry, though, Casey added as she plopped down onto her bearskin bed. We'll be out of his hair in the morning for good. You've been listening to Max Quick, Book Two, The Two Travelers, by Mark Jeffrey. Read by the author. Produced by Mark Jeffrey in association with Podiobooks.com. For more information on this patio book, please visit www.maxquickseries.com The print version of both The Pocket and the Pendant, Max Quick Book 1, and The Two Travelers, Max Quick Book 2, are available at lulu.com in paperback format, PDF format, and hardcover. Thank you.